Good morning. Welcome to Carolina Family Church. My name is Jeremy, if you don't know me. Um, if you came to hear John Allen, I'm sorry. Uh, that happens. I kid you not. The last time I spoke, I went out to the lobby, and there's new people. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? It's like, yeah, we bust in from California to see John preach today. It's like, oh, that's great. Thanks. How was it? Yeah, it was all right. All right. Well, good. Anyway, um, hey, listen, I, no matter what I'm doing, if I'm playing guitar or if I'm up serving in the... Uh, in the booth up there. Shout out to the guys who make all the magic happen. Uh, yeah, give them a hand. They don't want to be seen. That's okay. If I have to, you do too. Uh, or I'm up here. Like, this is, this is fun. Serving you guys is fun. You're my family. I love you. And getting to preach in a, a series kind of like, like Galatians, kind of like Romans, it's, it's just fun, right? It's storytelling. And uh, no added pressure with the fact that uh, groups are going to start this week, so this is the first sermon on, uh, you know, that's going to be on the study guide. Uh, but I can handle it; that's no problem. Um, so I'm going to have to give you a little bit of context. I know that uh, some people could be new and maybe you missed a couple Sundays, or you were asleep or something. I don't know, but I can't tell a story without a little bit of context, right? And uh, this letter to the church in Galatia uh, is written by Paul. And normally, Paul's letters are uh, all the same. They're very, you know, hey, how you doing? Uh, you guys are so good. I'm thankful that you're part of the church. You're doing a really good job. And he goes on to say all the things they're doing well. And then he says one thing, you know, one or two things they could do a little better. And then he comes back and he's like, yeah, and by the way, you're doing really well. Good job. Attaboy. Uh, not this one. Okay. This letter is completely different than any of those other letters. The tone is different. The uh, passion from Paul is a little different. And there's a reason for that. There's a very good reason for that. And I, I need to tell, you need to understand a little bit more about who Paul is to understand what is happening in this letter, just for context for what's getting ready to happen. And by the way, this one in particular, uh, I was talking to John this week, and he said, man... When I gave you this week, I didn't realize what you were preaching on. I, I'm kind of disappointed. I wanted to preach on this one. I was like, all right, because it's different. This one is very dramatic, all right? It's, it's fun. It's, it's, it'd be hard not to have a good time with this group of Scripture. But Paul is, Paul is mission-oriented, okay? God knew exactly who he was getting when he got Paul. He's task-oriented, he's goal-minded, he sees something, you put him on that mission, and he is going to go for it. He's a bulldog, and that's a prime rib, right? And there's nothing on the sides that's going to get in his way. Prison's not getting in his way. Shipwreck's not going to get in his way. It doesn't matter what's happening over here. He sees that mission, and he is going to get it. I have trouble even remembering where my keys are in the morning. My generation, hello. Um... And my son's generation, whoo, uh, I walked into his room one time when he was doing some homework, I thought he was. One screen had a video game going on. The other screen was a tutorial on the video game. He had a podcast going on in his headphones, and he was texting with one hand. And I, it blew my mind. I was like, how you're not taking over the universe, I don't know. But you couldn't give him one mission. You'd have to give him 15 missions that all added up to that one mission, and then maybe he could accomplish it. It's like squirrels, right? 
Not Paul. Paul was mission-oriented, a bulldog. Otherwise, extremely calm, straightforward. You knew what you were going to get. You knew what he was going after. You knew what he was doing. You didn't have to second-guess him. Nothing was going to distract him. But when you got in his way, you got in between that prime rib as a bulldog. That was an issue. And that's what is happening in the church in Galatia. Somebody has gotten in the middle of that mission. They've gotten in between him and that prime rib. And you start to see a little bit of passion come up, a little bit of heat from Paul that you don't normally get to see. Someone who is normally very well-rounded is starting to have some emotion, some passion. And here's what happened. A group of guys have come in. Look, we've just, if you've missed it, we went from justification by the law to justification through grace, by grace, through faith. All right? Jesus came to save all of us. He broke that law. The law is gone. Now we all have the option. And a group of Jews have come back in and are telling people, hey, salvation is great. That's right. Now you can be saved. That's cool. But you still have to do some of this other stuff. It's not just that. And that has, you can imagine, infuriated Paul. That is getting in the way of his mission. This is his church. He set this church up. You don't mess with his people. And it's very evident that he is ticked off. I remember uh, <laughs> years ago, I had started in my first church. And I, you, if you don't know my history, I just briefly, I went from Baptist to full-on charismatic overnight. And uh, I discovered that there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. Because the church I was in just, look, it was a fantastic church. They still, you got saved, but they kind of stopped at salvation. They never talked about the Holy Spirit, never talked about anything else, um, never talked about having a spirit inside of you just to communicate with. And when I started working in church, I discovered that, and it set me on fire. I had a whole new respect for what the relationship was like with the Holy Spirit. And I had finally got my mom to come to that church where I was working. And I saw her started, starting to see some of that. I saw her relationship with Jesus growing, and it, it, it just, it was so exciting. And then one day she calls me. She says, hey, I just want to let you know that there's a church down the road that's coming into town that we all know about. Uh, listen, that's nothing new. There's a church on every corner, right? And most of the time when a brand new church starts, it's not made up of people who are completely unchurched, all right? It, it's, from, it's normally made up immediately of people who are from another church or who used to be in church, coming back to church, something like that. Maybe you have a bunch of friends. They're all coming to your church. That's okay. We get that. Although none of you guys are leaving, ever. So good. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But anyway, um, my mom said, hey, my group that she was in, a church is calling us, trying to get us to come to that church. And you do not cold call people from another church to get them to come to your church. You just don't do it. And you don't mess with my mama. Okay? So I said, oh, that's great, man. That's a, thanks for letting me know. And I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not Paul, but I'm a pretty even-killed guy. It is hard to get me riled up. And I hung up the phone, and I had to take a minute. Because I was like, 
Hulk smash! Like, I knew these people. Like, I knew who they were. And I got my posse, and it was like Guardians of the Galaxy slow-mo. We started walking toward, you know, it was one of those things. I got heated. I feel like I have a little bit of an idea of what Paul is going. This is Paul's church. And some people are coming in and cherry-picking because it's a whole lot easier to get a group of people who are already organized, who already in some way know some gospel. Maybe their foundation isn't set. It's a whole lot easier to come in as a group of uh, leaders who may be charismatic, who may be well-spoken, and get people to come your way. So they're in this church in Galatia, and they are getting in between Paul and his mission. So Paul is now coming to that church. He's written a letter saying, hey, this is the deal. And a lot of times when that church got a letter, they would read it out loud to the whole congregation back then. I hope that these people were in the church when he started reading this letter because they needed to hear it. I think that would be, uh, I do not like being in in places where I'm, uh, what do you call that when you're, just awkward. You know, it's like, this is, this is awkward. Uh, I, I would say that was a very awkward moment for people when they read a letter like Paul has written to the church in Galatia when they are the ones causing the issue. So that brings us to Galatians 2, 11 to 16, if you guys want to get a jump start on that, if you brought your hard copies or if you want to get into the uh, YouVersion app. Galatians 2, 11 to 16. Now, there's one other player that you need to know about that is in this very short group of Scripture. And his name is Peter. And yes, it is the same Peter. Cephas, whatever you want to call him, he was one of the apostles. He is uh, one of the pillars of the community. He's a leader. But one thing that strikes me, one thing about Peter, right? He seems to be a little wishy-washy. And everything we read about him, he, he kind of is, you all have friends like that. You all have friends that are a little wishy-washy. Like, whenever you're talking about something, they're in total agreement with whatever that is. And then somebody else comes in, they're talking about something else, you over here, and they're in total agreement with whatever that was. Even if it's not what, you know, it goes totally opposite of what you were talking about. Like, they're, they're a little wishy-washy. And I, sorry for the sports analogy, but um, I'm a sports guy. And I think about this like, like a state that has two teams. Right, maybe the Yankees or the Mets. Maybe Chicago has the White Sox and the Cubs. And you're a diehard White Sox fan. Or you're a diehard Cubs fan. And you invite a friend to the game. He's like, yeah, man, I love the White Sox. They're great. I'm going to wear my Robin Ventura jersey. A little throwback for you there. And he shows up, and he's, he's cheering on the White Sox. And then you see him two days later with a Mark Grace jersey on, cheering on the Cubs. Right? That's how I feel like Peter is a little bit like that. But he nonetheless is a pillar of the community. He is a, he's a leader. And right before you get to this part in Galatia, he has just come from a meeting with Paul, with several of the other leaders, where they said, hey, look, this is the story. This is our mission. This is what we're preaching. Let's just make sure we're all on the same page. And he said, yeah, man, that's it. Saved by grace through faith, no more law. That is it. So he's just agreed with Paul 
and with some of these other leaders of the church that this is what they're supposed to be doing. And then we pick up Peter in Galatians 2.11. And this is, by the way, Paul writing about this to the church in Galatia. So let's pick it up at verse 11. And when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is very dramatic for Paul. These are, these are, some, these are some words. He stood condemned. This is not Paul's normal writing. He is ticked off. Have you, so uh, this is the way I think about this. When you get a text message, which would be the modern day letter, right? Or an email, just a short phrase from somebody. It's never just the words, right? You put all kinds of emotion and attitude and everything you can on that, what that person said, because you know that person. You know what that person is like. You know how good of a friend you are. So when you see somebody say something, it's not just the words. It's all the other stuff that goes along with that person that you have put on the things that they just said. And if it's something like, uh, hey, I got something I'm going to say to you, but I, I can't tell you till this weekend, and you flip out, you lose your mind. <laughs> you lose it. Can't wait, but because you have put all this stuff on them, because you know them. Half the time, it's not even right. My wife will text me something, and she gets home, and I've already put all the stuff on it. I'm like, what, what did that do? It's like, what are you talking about? I just said I'd, I'd be home for dinner. I was like, oh, okay. I, didn't, I thought I was supposed to cook and do all this stuff. Okay, never mind. That's what I get from this from Paul, because we know who Paul is. We know who he is. He's steadfast, and he's on a mission. And somebody is in between that prime rib and him, and these are the words for that person who is in between that prime rib and him, his mission, who, somebody who is stepping up, who's, by the way, a brother. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. These are some big words. Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. This is Paul's MO. I mean, this is Peter's MO. This is what he does. He's the guy that was the first to get out of the boat and walk on the water. And he's the guy that turned his eyes away from Jesus and was afraid and sank. He's the same guy that stood up and said, I'm with you, Jesus. And then a short time later, he was the one who was denying him to other people when they asked him because he was afraid. He is, he has the, he's driven by fear a good bit. That is him, his M.O. I, I feel like he's a little bit like Elf, right? Santa! Like that. That's who, like when Jesus is around, like he's, like he's all in it. He is gone ho. He is good to go. But then in other situations, he's a, I, I tried really hard. Uh, Nunny, Mitten, I don't know. I can't remember what Elf calls himself in there. But cotton-headed ninny muggins, that was it. He's like walking through the park, you know, he's crying because he just, he, like he's all over the place. 
And I, I have to say, I'm coming on a little bit harsh on Peter because he was a man of God. He has written some incredible scripture on grace. And he was one of the OGs. He was one of the originals. And his, his church was on fire. They were good to go. Like he, he was a fantastic man of God. But he had a problem with fear. And if you follow this timeline, you could go to Acts and look for it. It's in between Acts 10 and Acts 15 where this kind of fits in. But he had just come from a meeting with leadership where he had stood up in front of all of them proclaiming about Jesus, that he had gotten visions, that we were all equal, that Jesus came to save all of us. He had stood in front of people who were like this, these guys that came to the church. He, was, he stood up to them and said, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be. I believe it 100%. I've had the vision. He is passionate about it. But then you see right here, he's eating with the Gentiles. And then when Jews come in, he backs away. And there's more to this context than that. What you need to know is that meals were a big deal to the Jews. And Peter was a Jew. They did not eat with Gentiles. In fact, they wouldn't eat with a Jew who was, who was living in sin. It was look, they would look down upon him to do that. So when those guys came in, Peter immediately, instead of doing what was right, standing up for what he believed in, he started to back away because he was worried about his reputation. He was fearful about what those Jews would say. Going back to the old way. Unfortunately, that for a lot of times is Peter's M.O. That's what he does. And in the next verse, verse 13, we really see the problem. We see the issue right here. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This is the, one of the shortest verses in this group of scripture, but it is the most powerful. Because this is the perfect example of what is happening in the church today. Hypocrisy in the leadership is destroying the church's character and its testimony, what it stands for. Uh, it, and it frustrates me to no end because like, we, we do our best to be a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church. If it's not in there, we don't say it. And if we do say it, we can prove it right here. But there are, there are leadership all over the church in America, for sure, who is bending what they believe in to not make anybody angry. Amen. And it used to be that people could come in knowing they were going to hear the truth. And it might step on some toes, and it might hurt their feelings, but they needed to hear it, and it was going to change their lives. Now the church is changing to look more like the lives of the people coming in to hear the truth. The truth is the truth. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter. The truth is that you were all loved. Jesus died for all of you. Everyone here is loved by Jesus. But that doesn't mean 
that he changes his message because it's going to hurt your feelings. That doesn't mean that he's driven by emotion. There are major churches across the United States, leadership of thousands, that are all of a sudden changing what they believe to not hurt people's feelings. And that is a problem in the church. That is an issue. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how it makes you feel. In fact, if we're stepping on your toes, it's probably a good thing. It means you need to change something in your life. And the problem that happens is when you trust someone who is a leader, when you come in here and you see me or John and you trust us that what we're preaching is right and it's truth, and then we go and do something that is not what is in here, we're all of a sudden being a hypocrite to what we said because you trust us, because you're trusting the leadership of someone that you believe in, it causes you to go astray. And that's what Peter has done. He's causing other leadership, other Jews, to come back to his way because he's ashamed and he thinks it's going to hurt his reputation. Even to Barnabas. Even to Barnabas, who was one of Paul's right-hand men, who just stood in the same place and said, this is what I believe. This is what we believe. Peter is such a leader that he even got Barnabas to go astray. It is critically damaging to a group of people, and it is damaging the church leadership and the church members in the United States like we have never seen before. The truth is the truth no matter what. And it's meant to change your life, not to bow down to it. Sorry, that one, this one has been messing with me all week. All right? Because I have even seen stuff this week of people that I trust outside of this church, and I have seen them fall and fail and change because they're scared of what somebody else is going to think or they're scared of what Instagram is going to say or they're scared of whatever. But just like Peter, being driven by fear is an issue. And it can damage even the greatest person's character and testimony. In verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in the line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Not only was he going astray, not only was he doing it, he was putting it on other people. He was forcing other people to do it. And I think a big part of this is that you see Paul calling out Peter in front of everybody. And the first time I saw this, the first time I I really uh, started doing some research on this and I read it, I thought, man, what would you feel like if you were Peter and Paul just called you out in front of everybody like this? But I don't think that's the tone. I don't. I think Paul is seeing a brother who he trusts, who is in his small group. Peter is part of Paul's small group of people that he trusts, that he has just said, hey, this is what we're doing, we're all in agreement, yes. And he sees him 
hurting that mission. He sees him going back on what he said. He sees him bowing down to something that he used to be a part of. And in front of that small group, in front of that people, those people, he calls them out. Listen, that's what small groups do, right? They're here to listen to you. I hope in your small groups that if you've got a problem, people listen to you and they love you and they care about you, but they do not hesitate to call you out. That's what we need. We need somebody like Paul, who when he sees something happening, like Peter, one of his brothers, he stands up and says, hey, this isn't right. Get back on track. Not only are you off track, you're causing other people to get off track. That is the the verse right there. That is the story. You're off track. You know the mission. We all know the mission. When we get off track, if you're not in a good small group, if, you're not, if you don't have a group of well-rounded, Bible-believing people right beside you, there's nobody there to get back, you back on track. And you also can lead other people astray, which is even more, there's even more danger in that. And then being just like any good pastor, Paul finishes it with the gospel. Verse 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles... Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. That's it. That is the story Paul's been preaching since day one. That's what the entire book of Romans was about. That's what Galatians is about. And somebody stepped in his way, and it was a brother. And it was an issue. Let me ask you a question. In what part of your life are you being a hypocrite? Just think about it. Are you different in here than you are anywhere else? This is a hard question. This is not an easy one. It's hard for me to ask it. When you get around your friends, are you different than you are here? Or are you different than you would want to be? The language that you use, the themes that you talk about, are they different? Are they different than you are here? And if you're working on that, welcome. We'll work on it together, because I'm not perfect. I say things I shouldn't all the time. You can ask Monica. I, I mean, I, I'm a person, all right? I'm a human being. I fail too, just like the rest of us. But the greatest weapon that we have against sin, against the devil, against everything, more than that, the greatest weapon that we have to save people's lives is you. It's you. When I was in college, uh, the second, when I was, went to seminary, I worked in a Chili's to put myself through seminary. And needless to say, that was not the best environment for a, uh, a preacher, someone who's learned, trying to learn how to be a pastor. <laughs> it's not the best environment. 
Uh, restaurants are rough places to work. Um, but it is a great place to, to have a mission field. It is a great place to be a, a Christian if you can manage it. And I had managed it pretty well. But I'll tell you what, I am not the guy who stands on the corner and, and shouts and preaches. That's not my style. It's just not me. Uh, they used to dump us in the worst part of town and tell us to stand on the corner and preach for 30 minutes, and they pick us back up. And it's the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. That's not me. I'm more one-on-one. I'm more person-to-person. Uh, I'm more just, you know who I am. If you've got a problem, let's talk about it. And that is who I was in that Chili's. I was just a guy who they knew who I was. I didn't break that character, and I loved them. And if they needed something, they knew I would be right there. And there was another person in that Chili's who, worked at, who went to the same school I did who was very judgmental and said things that I would never say to people and considered themselves a little bit higher than everybody else. And it always frustrated me because we're supposed to be representing the same thing. But it would hurt my character because that person is talking down to everybody because it's a rough place and there's a lot going on. And there was constantly being called out on sin and things like that. And then they look at me and be like, I don't know, man. I love you guys. I can't. <laughs> like, we're all, we're all sinners. I, 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 I thought I was failing a good bit. And one day I walked in, and one of the waitresses was crying. And my first instinct when a woman is crying is to turn around and walk away. <laughs> and uh, it's just natural, man. <laughs> don't worry. I will not. And that is not Ben's group, by the way. We we're watching football and cooking hamburgers, all right? So uh, anyway, I, they locked eyes, contact with me. And she came up to me and said that her, her brother had just OD'd. And the first thing out of the mouth of this other person was not good about her brother. And she began to just, it was rough. But she looked at me and said, I know you're different. I know this, something's different about you. I know that you don't join in with the stuff we say, but you're here talking to us. And I need to know what's going on. And I, it's hard to come back from something like that. It's a tough situation, but you can always love somebody through whatever they're going through and keep your character and keep the truth and be a person who they can reach to. And she knew when I walked in the door, she was waiting on me because none of her other friends had answers. Nobody else was there anymore. The party was gone. The people who were her friends and they're all happy and giggly, they were gone. And the greatest weapon I had was that I was on a mission and I didn't let things get in my way. That is you. That is you. And there are people all over the place who you come in contact with who need to hear the truth. And they need someone with strong character, with a strong testimony, who can stand up and say, I love you no matter what, but what you're doing is wrong. 
come with me to a really good, really strong Bible-believing church. Listen, here at Carolina Family Church, we believe in community. We believe in it. It is one of the number one priorities, the number one things that we do. We try to push community all the time. We try to push groups all the time. There's a reason for that. Because just like Paul, you need people around you who, who believe in you, who believe the same thing but are willing to call you out. And the problem is if you don't have that, if you don't have a group of people around you who are willing to be with you right through the mess but also hold you accountable, when you turn around and something has happened and you call me or you call John or you call Jess or you call one of the elders, you call, of, course, of course we're going to be there, but we're one person. We have constant stories of people in our church who have had an issue, sometimes tragic. And the first people there is the group because they have surrounded themselves with people who care about them, who want to be a part of their life. And if you don't have that, just think about that. Think about what you could have if you had a group of people who loved you and cared about you and wanted the best for you and would listen to your stories about how you fail and tell you how they can pick you up. That is what groups do. That is what starts this week. That is why we push it. That is why it's so important, because it's not enough to come in here on a Sunday morning and sit and walk out, and that is not a church we have ever wanted. The groups is where you dig in. The groups is where you get it. So here's what I want you to do. Just bear with me. I'm going to give you two minutes, maybe three. I'm going to get, ask you to step out of your box just a little bit. <laughs> Silence. Turn around and talk to somebody that is not in your circle, that maybe you don't know. And I know everybody here just had a heart attack. <laughs> okay, look, two minutes. I'll even tell you, look. Find out who they are, find out the kids' names, find out where they work, find out some hobby. Listen, it's not, I'm not asking you to delve into their deepest, darkest secrets. I'm asking you to get to know somebody who maybe you don't, who is right beside you. I'm going to give you two minutes, and then we're going to get out of here, all right? For me, this is early. Okay? Don't leave. We're not quite done, but I'm telling you. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Enough from the peanut gallery. You got two minutes. Go. Talk to somebody. All right. Did anybody have a panic attack? Jeremy Lynch? No, you didn't. Okay. Well, we'll work on that in group. I, I saw you sign up, what, yesterday. I got you. We'll work on it. Listen. We started with 70 people close to it, maybe. 60, 50, 40, 30, 40. Eventually it was 70. Maybe 70 in the first service. I don't know. We started with some people. In a room, less than, this. less than this, for sure, who were like-minded, who wanted this style of church, this community-style church that could build each other up and at the same time build the community. And we thought we were gonna, we thought we were gonna explode, and we didn't. We became a really strong, good cord, uh, good foundation, strong foundation church family-style church where you knew everybody 
and everybody knew you. And we continued to grow slowly, but we grew in a way that we could manage, and God knew that. We thought we were going to explode, but if we did, we would not be able to handle. We'd not be able to maintain this type of community in a church where we didn't have enough leaders to handle the people, didn't have the systems, the programs put in. And then COVID hit, and God knew exactly what we were going to do. He already had it planned. We went to what we did, and we maintained and even grew. I've had some people come to this church just recently, Jess has told me, who said, yeah, I saw you guys during COVID. thought I'd uh, come see you. I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, there was, the, there was a queue a minute ago for them to come up, so that's what's happening. And then God gave us this place, and we grew. And now we are out of space, and God's working. God's going to work, and there is a next step that will eventually happen. And he knows what it is, and he's got the plan for it, and he's going to put it in place. But let me tell you something. When we started with those 40 people, that was our core. When we moved to somewhere else, this is our core. You guys are the core. And just like we have 40 people who bought in, who are all about it, who are willing to step outside of the box, who are willing to join the groups, be in the community, do the outreach, start the family center. Now that group is this group. And when we go somewhere else, we need you to be all in in what we value and what we do as a family, as a church, so that we can affect everyone else. So when they come in, they don't get lost. Because if you can get lost in here, when you start growing, it's even easier to get lost with bigger numbers. We do not want that. No man left behind, right? It doesn't matter if you've signed up for the groups or not. It's not too late. The same reason we have things like the marriage workshop. Just by the way, reminder, Amy is in the lobby. If any of you want to go, the spots, me and Monica will be there. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your marriage. I'm not saying that we're falling apart. There's a lot of us there. We enjoy the community. We enjoy getting to know each other even more. That's what the marriage workshop is for. If you want to be a part of that, hurry up because there's only a couple of spots left. But this is what we do. If you're not in a group and you want to go crying at Jess's group or you want to eat hamburgers and watch football at a men's group, that's great. That's fine. It's whatever you want to do, right? All right. I've never gotten to do this. Everybody stand up. This is the core. This is what we do in the mornings. Hands out. This is family. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will love our neighbor today. On three, community. One, two, three, community. Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you. Have a good week.